What is up, HOF 1030 service? How you doing this morning? You doing good? You're looking good, I must say. I'm not going to compare the two services, but you're a fine-looking crowd. <laughs> Don't tell the uh, 9 a.m. service I was playing favorites today. Wasn't that good morning? Wasn't worship incredible? Water baptism? I mean, blueberry scones and coffee. Woo, we could go home now and be happy. We not, but we gonna, we gonna, cause I'm gonna preach, but we are so glad to have you. My name is Greg Jones. I'm the campus pastor here at the airline campus. And as Vanessa said, whether you're visiting with us on one of our online streaming platforms, whether you're live in the building, we're just glad that you're with us, that you're spending this part of your Sunday with us. We don't believe it's coincidental. We don't believe it's accidental. We believe God's got you here. You're the right person, right time, right place. God's going to do something good in your life today. So thank you for joining us. We've been talking this really since the beginning of the year on this whole theme and idea of dream again. We started out broad the beginning of the year and talked about just some of the hopes and dreams and things we may have lost, got discouraged in, got disappointed concerning. Then we began to turn that towards our families the last uh, couple of weeks. So we're going to really finish up Dream Again for our family today. Now I'm excited about next week because we're going to continue the Dream Again theme, but we're going to go into a dream again about the kingdom. In other words, the kingdom of God. We live in a culture, we live in a society, but when we're born again, we're born into a kingdom. We've got a king and his name is Jesus and he's got a purpose and he's got a place for us. He's got plans, he's got promises. What are they? That's why we're gonna dream again about the kingdom. That's gonna take us right up until Easter. Easter, always the biggest Sunday on the calendar here at Household of Faith. So we'll be giving you more information and tools and ability to ask the people in your lives, your family, your friends to join us for those Easter services. We believe they're gonna be impactful and life-changing. So Dream Again for the Kingdom starts next week. Dream Again for the Family, part two. Today we're focusing on dreaming again for our children. Dreaming again for our children. No matter where you find yourself, in this journey of life. Some of you are in the children's stage, various, sta various seasons in it. Young children, older children, some may be empty nesters, maybe your children are gone. Maybe you're at that place where you're, not, where, where you're looking and dreaming ahead to what it would look like to have a family one day, to have children, to, to walk in that journey of legacy. Maybe you're in the middle of a, of a painful situation or season in your life where family is not exactly looking like what you thought it might look like. No matter where you find yourself, we're gonna look and refocus, get fresh perspective about our families, about our children, about our grandchildren. And I know we all love our family, those that have kids. We love our kids on most days. We love our kids. We're in church, gotta be honest. We gotta be real. We can't, we're not gonna lie. Let's be honest. Some days with family, it's like living the dream. And then it really is. I mean, some days with family, it's like, can it get any better than this? This is awesome. This is an awesome vacation. This is an awesome meal. This is an awesome holiday. Some days with family, it's like living a dream, and other days, it's close to a nightmare. Huh? Still being real? Still being real? Yeah, it is. Am I right? I'm talking to the right people. Some mornings, it's, it's like waking up and wondering what happened to the dream? What happened to the Disney movie? What happened to the Disney family? What happened to the three-year-old Disney princess I put in bed last night with a little pink Disney nightgown on? Now she's like this angry ninja robot all of a sudden this morning. Overnight, somebody tinkered with the wires and the buttons and what happened? And, and we wonder where, well, it, it looked 
Last night I was so sure. When we ended the evening, we were in dream again stage. And now I don't know, I'll never forget. Years ago, Risa, she's our middle child when she was about two years old. Where's that Risa? Where's it Risa? Wave at me, Risa. She's about two years old. For those of you who don't know, uh, my wife Stephanie and I have five, five children. Three are still at home, two are married. Now, here's an interesting little DNA genetic fact for you. We've got five children, all daughters. Two of my oldest daughters are married and have started their own families, and they each have two daughters. Now, I ain't real good at math, and they told me when I took this job there would be no math, but that's nine for nine in the female factory right there. So I don't know what that says about the water we're drinking or the genetics or the DNA. If you're wanting to have a kid, you're having trouble having a kid, come about the service, I'll rub off on you. If you want a boy, stay way away from me. <laughs> Mask up, do whatever you need to do. Don't drink the water, don't breathe air because I don't know nothing about no boys. But I do remember when Reese was about two years old in the... Uh, in the middle, I'm sleeping. I mean, it's like, it's, she's two and it's like 2.33 in the morning. I mean, I'm doing what a good parent should do. I am collapsed, I'm done, I'm checked out. I am sleeping like a log. She, and have you ever had one of those moments where you're sleeping and you, your kids are little and you roll over and when you roll over, you open your eyes and suddenly there's this small little two or three year old face about six inches from you. And you can't figure out whether it's real or a dream. You want to touch, you don't know whether to scream or touch it or push her or what. And that's how it was. Oh, and she's, just, she's, like, she's like there. And so in my groggy, foggy mind, you know, I'm pushing past it. And I'm like, pretty sure it's real. And she begins to talk. She doesn't say, Daddy, wake up. Daddy, you're sleeping. Daddy, are you tired? Daddy, what's happening? She just begins to talk. And I can tell. She's talking and she's complaining. She's like, and in my brain, I'm like, hey, the complaint department is closed for the night. You're gonna have to go fill out a form. You're gonna have to go talk to somebody else. I punched out and she's talking and she's complaining and she's upset about something. And I can't understand all of her two-year-old words, but at a certain point, I begin to pick up on it. I begin to listen and I begin to hear enough to understand that she was saying, daddy, daddy. Daddy, Raina, Raina won't give me no chips. I got that part down. Raina, no chips, okay? So now I'm beginning to awake and I'm intrigued by the situation. I'm like wondering, is there a chip party going on the other side of the house I should know about? I mean, what's happening? Raina obviously is not being very shareable with the chips. And so... I said, my mind, I said, I don't know, let's go, let's go find out what's happening in the other room. So I take her and we walk. And she's like, no, okay, I get it, no chips, we're gonna get there. So we walk in there and I don't know what to do, uh, you know, because I got this complaint about no chips. I walk in, open the door, sure enough, there's Raina. She's about six years old. She is stretched out, doesn't even blink an eye when I open the door. She's stretched out, hands behind her head, got her legs crossed, got the TV on, 2.30 in the morning, got a bag of chips right there. She is going to town. Never takes her eye. He's watching the screen. I mean, I had to go get her attention. I didn't even know what to say at this point. I didn't even know how to. I'm like, so I'm just state the obvious. Let's start with what she told me. I said, uh, Raina, yes, sir. She, uh, Risa came to my room and she told me that uh, 
You won't let her have any chips. Never blinked an eye. Watching the show, never turned, never looked at me, hands behind the head, eating the chips. He said, yeah, that's right, no chips. <laughs> so at this point, I'm just flabbergasted and I just want to go back to sleep, right? I mean, I don't want to solve a chip problem. Apparently, Raina's not the one you go to for chips. I found that out. And so I'm just wanting to solve and go back to sleep. So I snatch the remote, I turn the TV off, I grab the bag of chips and I look at her, still never bats an eye. She looks over, she said, what the heck you do that for? Cause it's 2.30 in the morning and I don't know about you, but that's when normal folks sleep. <laughs> so I turned the light off, put them both back to bed, went to my room with my reward. Cause I was a bit hungry at that point. <laughs> now I got the chips. And sometimes families like that, the reality, the day in, day out, night in, night out reality of raising a family can very much be part-time dream, part-time nightmare. That's why we may just need to dream again. Sometimes we get discouraged in these seasons of our life, discouraged because we're not getting to a season soon enough where we may find a spouse and start having our children. Or maybe it's we find ourselves needing to dream again because we're, uh, the marriage we were in, the season we were in, didn't turn out anything like we thought it would. And family to us has almost become just a dirty word. We don't want to talk about family. We don't want to talk about that anymore because we've lost the dream of what it could look like. Or maybe raising children is not quite what you thought it would be. Maybe there's more questions and answers and more problems and you're finding solutions no matter what season in life we're in I think it's time to dream again about our family let God give us a fresh perspective fresh eyes to see and ears to hear this morning about what, what God wants to and can do in our families how and so we start looking at I, I start looking and start asking some of these some of these questions of myself when I look at the challenge of raising kids, this is the kind of questions that I ask myself and maybe you can identify as it's overwhelming and busy and so much going on. I ask myself, how can I be what my family needs me to be? There's so much going on in my life, so much going on. Am I doing it right? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever asked yourself, am I even, there's no handbook. They sent me home from the hospital with the little one and I lost my receipt and I can't return them. They didn't give me a handbook to know how to do these things. Am I even doing this right? Am I doing enough? Will I be enough as a parent? Am I going to break them? You ever thought that? I mean, emotionally, spiritually, am I going to break them? Am I going to do something? Are they, that, are they fragile? Will my kids grow up to love God? Who can be honest? Have you ever thought that? Will they even grow up to share the same love for God that I have? Will they grow up, here's a good one, will they grow up to dislike church if they see the flaws in me? I've thought that before. God, am I ruining them? God, am I, am I, am I messing them up? God, are they seeing at home? Because we see each other here, right? And I already told you, you look wonderful. You look awesome. Love to go and have lunch with you after, and we just, it'd be fun because this is how we see each other. But our family is the one that sees us behind closed doors, right? 
when the words, when the emotions, when the attitudes, when the moments are real, when they're raw, when they're, we're less than what we hoped we would be. And then we start thinking after those moments and after those situations in our life, we just start thinking, are my kids gonna love God? Are they gonna like going to church if I'm flawed? How do I manage all, all of this? Or even better yet, we ask this, how do I balance all of this? That's, that's a good cultural word right now. They're talking about balance, balancing our lives and our mental state and our emotional state and our spiritual lives and our work lives and our family lives and our financial lives. And there's books and there's seminars and there's conferences on how to balance and walk in proper balance. And I'm not saying it's not a decent word and not a decent thought, but life can begin, I, I, think, in, I, I think in pictures, and so I, I begin to think about uh, this picture of a, have you ever seen in the old days, the, the, the tightrope walkers and the high rise building, they would tie this wire from one high rise building to the other high rise building and there would be some fool going to walk across it, right? I don't even know what they said, but somebody just said, I can do this. I don't even know the first person that said, yeah, I could do that. I could stretch that and walk, oh, you know, 150, 200 feet in there. I could do that. And so I can remember in the old days they would do this and, or at the circus or something. And you got this, it's all about balance, right? It's all about balance. Guys walking across on that tightrope. He's 300 feet in the air. And he's got, always had a stick, a pole, right? He had a pole, a pole to help him balance. And I remember just watching it and being so amazed by it. And sometimes I thought that picture in my mind, that's what it feels like in life. That's what it feels like in family. I started out, you know, as just a kid. You don't really think about it when you're a kid, when you're young, life is a tightrope. You just run right across it. You never think nothing about it. You never think, what if I fall? What if I splat? What if I, nah, you're invincible as a child. But then you get, start getting older. The bills coming in the mailbox got your name on it. Now you're like, whoa, now. Then you get married and it's like, hey, and you got a spouse on your back, whoa. And you pop a kid or two out, put them somewhere, sit there. And then you got braces and you got job and you got bills and vacations and the dog. Yo, what am I gonna do to throw the dog off? Sorry, Fifi. <laughs> Sorry. Can't carry everybody. Boy, that's gonna leave a mark. And they're walking across. And that's called balance. I don't know about you, but that's not how I wanna live my life. I don't wanna live my life worried all the time. The dog, is the dog gonna get the dog still on? Did I lose a kid? Did I forget a bill? Did I lose my mind? I don't want to live, to, I said, and I got to thinking about this, this whole thought of, of balancing. And I realized one day, the Bible doesn't say balance the, you this day who you will serve. The Bible does, however, say choose you this day who you will serve. So I began to look at life and family a little bit differently. For me, it all lands on a specific verse and it's not about balance and it's not about all the uh, creating five or six things that you do well. If, if you were to ask me today and say, Greg, give me five or six things 
that are key to having a successful, it's not to me, it's not about five or six big things. If you get these things right, you'll have a successful family. If you get these things wrong or half of them wrong, I got no help for you, man. I don't know what to tell you. It's not about that. It's about, it's about choices. For me, it lands on this verse, Ephesians 5, 16. Make the most of every moment. It's not about a grand balancing act that if we do it wrong or make a misstep where it's all gonna collapse and fall apart. Life is not about a balancing act. Life's about making the most of the moments. With this in mind, our life becomes about a series of moments and our decisions in these moments. A moment that may last for five minutes or 10 minutes, a moment that may last for an hour or two hours or a day or a weekend or a vacation. What we choose to do in the moments that God gives us with our family will determine the success and the value and the future that we have with our family. What will we choose to do with these moments? Will we do what Ephesians says here and will we make the most of those moments? And if we do decide that life is really a series of moments and if we decide I really do, I would really love to make the right choices in those moments, what does that even look like? What does it even look like to re, to re um, organize life and, and begin to redefine life instead of five or six key things into a life of moments and responses and reactions. Here's two main takeaways I want to leave with you today. And here's the first. Number one, understand the importance of our moments. We want to look really unpacked just for a minute and understand how important it is to live. God's, he's telling us here, make the most. He's like, I'm giving you some moments. Be aware of those moments. Look for those moments. Make the most of those moments. Here's three moment reminders real quick. Number one, be fully present in the moments. Now, this is something that I, it's, I don't know about you, but this challenges me. In other words, don't let the preoccupation with other moments ruin the current moment. Aren't we bad at that as a society? We, we get into a moment with our family and maybe it's a 30 minute moment or an evening moment or a weekend moment, but we're in the moment physically, but we're not present in that moment connected emotionally and mentally and spiritually. We're not completely there. We're there physically, but we're in another moment in our mind. We're in a work moment. We're in a stress moment. We're in a financial moment. We're in a worry moment. We're in an afraid moment. We're in a ball game on TV moment. Nothing wrong with a ball game on TV. I'm just telling you, sometimes life comes and goes so quickly. I mean, are you like me when I look and say, what year is it? 2021? How did it get? It was just 2017. How did we get here so quickly? And if we're not careful, life will lead us instead of us leading our own life. Choices will be made for us instead of us making the choice to make the most of the moments and moments are gone and we don't even realize it because we were disconnected. We weren't fully present in that moment. Our mind was somewhere else. I don't know about you, but my mind on that phone, man. They say we touch this thing like 2000 times a day. We touch the screen. I read something the other day. I'm like, man, that's a, lot, that's a lot of moments I'm spending doing that. While I'm spending a moment doing that, maybe what moment am I missing with my kids? 
What moment? Am I fully present in these moments? What is pulling me away from being fully present in these moments? I can remember uh, the last child we had to get her driver's license was one of the twins, and it was Carly. Is Carly in here or is she not? There she is. Wave, Carly. Didn't Carly do it? Come up here, Carly. <laughs> Let old dad just embarrass you real good, like. She not only sings good, she dresses good, don't you think? <laughs> totally unplanned. So glad you got your own. She was taking mine from my closet for a while. Where's my jacket? Carly's got it. <laughs> She looks good, she dresses good, she sings good. She didn't have a driver's license yet. So we were right at that point. She got a job though. She had a job working at the Malco Theater. So if you go to the Malco Theater, Carly will give you free popcorn. Yeah? yeah? No. Just gotta know. Okay, so if you're keeping track today, Raina, chips, that's a no. Carly, popcorn, that's a no. Not free. So I'm taking her, it's a 10 minute drive to work. And I'm, this concept is in my mind, right? But I don't want my kids just to be a concept, like I'm in a lab practicing, right? I read this somewhere, so I'm gonna practice this on my kids. I don't want it like that. I want it to be real, I want it to be sincere, I want it to be genuine. But I realize I've got this 10 minute window of moments where I'm driving her to work and picking her back up, right? And this thought is hitting me. God is saying, make the most of every moment. I've got moments. You know, I might not have the rest of the day with Carly, but I've got a 10 minute window here. You say, nothing can happen in 10. 10 minutes is a moment, man. If you make it be a moment. So we begin, there's a comedian, there's a stand-up comedian we both like. I'm not gonna tell you who it is because you're gonna go listen to him. You're gonna judge me and you're gonna say, he ain't funny at all. Find your own comedian. (laughs) Me and Carly like him. We love him. Matter of fact, he just came out a new one on Netflix. Just came out a new one on Netflix. I was in my room the other day and I'm like, oh, he got a new one. And Carly was in the living room and I ran to the living room and I turned and said, I said, Carly, watch, watch, watch. <laughs> there he is. So we had this 10 minute car ride. And so we begin almost just organically. It's not like one of us planned it. We just knew we loved this comedian. And so Carly's got the phone, right? I mean, you're young, you got the phone. You got everything on the phone. I got a light on my phone. Oh God. Michael, come turn my light off. Jeez Louise. I can't figure, there's an app or something, download something. So Carly's got this app, Spotify. Yeah? <laughs> How's that being culturally relevant? Michael to the rescue. And she's, she's got this app, Spotify, that's got the whole world, apparently the whole world is downloaded on everything you could ever dream of is on Spotify. Our favorite comedian is on Spotify. So she'd say, it's time to go to work. So I'd go get in the car and she'd get in the car and she'd put the comedian and for 10 minutes, we would beat that car to pieces. Laughing. I'd say one line, she'd say the next line. We had to memorize. People hated us. 
We were those people, you know? We would say the lines and finish the lines and say them with them. And I, we were crying and, and laughing and beating the steering wheel, right? And then I pull into the parking lot. She turns it off. She gets out. She walks away. And I'm saying, see you later. It's not the length of the moment. It's the life in the moment. I don't know if I could have. That, those 10-minute moments made my day. And, and, and I felt so connected and loved and and with, with, with Carly, because let's face it, she's getting older. We, we, we don't, might not have three hours every night now, but we had those moments because it's not the length of, it's the life in, be fully present in the moments. Number two, you'll like this and feel challenged by it at the same time. Memorable moments don't have to cost big money. Memorable moments, that now they can. If you've got big money, spend big money. Do, go to Disney, see the mouse. I told my kids the mouse had rabies. Mouse, bad mouse, he bite you. I didn't really. I didn't really. I thought about it though. That ain't a real castle, that's cardboard. Them fireworks are burning right down. We ain't going to see no mouse. Very expensive mouse. If you can afford the mouse, go. But the thing about it is, memories don't have, a, don't have to have a huge price tag attached to them. We feel guilty sometimes as parents, grandparents, that we're, we're not living up to this dream life that we should be creating for our kids. Maybe it's not Disney World this year. Maybe it's a Disney movie and a tent and popcorn in the living room. You ever thought about that? I did. <laughs> Maybe it's you find and, and craft other ways. Remember this. We're creating memories, not debt. That's the goal. Create memories, not debt, that will make more bad memories later. Find creative ways to connect. Find out how your kids are wired, what their gifts are, what their likes are, what their dislikes are. Don't treat them all exactly. That was me and Carly's moment. I didn't have that moment with any of the other children. They don't have to cost big money. I can remember when they were all little and like between the ages of two and seven or two and eight, all five of them. And Stephanie would be at work. She's a nurse, so she'd be at the lake. And sometimes, sometimes I, I was daddy for the night, man. They were, they were, I had to present all five of them alive when she got home. <laughs> Fed, bathed, I couldn't, well, four is as good as, no, I want all five of my kids, so I had all five. And I'm having to get creative with things to do, you know? And so I, I remember sometimes when I would cook Supper for them, we do the breakfast for supper thing, right? And I do the omelets. And how many of you remember, this is gonna date some of you, how many of you remember on the Muppet Show, the old Swedish chef? Yeah, who would get, how many of you don't remember the Swedish chef at all? Raise your hands, be honest. You don't remember the Swedish chef? Okay, that's cool. Watch the screen. Swedish chef, right? So I concocted this idea that I wouldn't just make omelets, I was gonna make omelets as the Swedish chef. 
Who knew that 10 minutes of stupid would lead to a lifetime of memories? They would, oh, they, they would begin to ask me. They didn't even know, you know, young. They would, do the thing, do that thing, do the voice, do the do, do the eggs. And they begin to ask me. And so I would do it, restore the eggs, never get the cracked eggs. And they, they would always ask, do that. And it was great. It was, and it was free. It just cost me a few eggs. Here's the coolest thing about it. That was for that generation, right? My, my children in that generation, they loved those moments. Let's fast forward to Saturday a week ago. Now I got another generation. Now I got grandkids on my lap and got a whole nother moment. <laughs> Free moment. Cost me nothing. Got a good laugh from the grandchild. Moments. It's not the length of the moment, it's the life in the moment and they don't have to cost big money. And here's number three, don't compare your moments with others' moments. We're horrible at that, we're horrible at that. I, I have a love-hate relationship with social media, do you? I love it, I almost can't, like, I almost can't stop myself, I think I have a slight addiction, like I need a group or something, 12-step. Because God just say there's just something in me. I'm just like, I've got to see what everybody's doing. I'm missing it. And then when I do see what they're doing, then sometimes I feel guilty because I'm like, oh, man, there are, everybody's having fun but me. Everybody's having a dream vacation but me. Everybody's going out to the park and they're doing, I'm sitting at home. I thought we were supposed to be social distancing. <laughs> Nobody on my feet is. Not a mask, none. And so you start thinking these thoughts that I am letting my kids down, right? We start comparing and it's like, I'm letting, I'm letting my kids down. I, I, we're not having the right vacation. We're not take, going to the right places. I'm not doing the right thing. Something's going, my kids are, and you see the photos. We base this off of photos of some people that we don't even know. And we see the smiling faces in the photo and we don't, do not realize that once the photo is posted, oftentimes the pain begins again in the life of that family. A photo that was taken in three seconds does not mean that that family has it all together. It simply means somebody knew how to post a photo with a filter. They put a filter on it. And what looked like heaven behind the scenes may really be hell. And we're comparing ourselves to that. And we're constantly, we never compare ourselves to people who do the vacations down here. Oh, that's a sad little, no, we always go way up here and we end up feeling guilty. Comparison is the enemy of contentment. God created us to enjoy what he's blessed us with and to bless our families with and to enjoy it. But once we start comparing across the board with other families and other moments, don't worry about the moments you don't have. Make the most of the ones you do have. Enjoy the moments that God has given you. Use social media, but don't let it use you emotionally or financially. Don't compare your moments with others Moment. So our first big takeaway is understand the importance of the moments. Here's the last takeaway. I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. Here's number two. I think it's really important as we 
have, if you have a family that you're raising now, if you're looking at one day hoping and dreaming about having a family and what that would look like, a spouse, children, or whether you're even over here and maybe an empty nester or whether you're even in a whole nother group over here where family, like we've mentioned before, it just doesn't look like what you thought it would look like. You, you encountered some obstacles and challenges along the way, disappointments, discouragements. So maybe you're beginning to think about reshaping what could family look like? What could a new family look like? God, are, 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 you, are you there? Are you a part of it? One of the most important things, no matter where you fit into that, is number two, to develop a life-giving culture in your home. We're creating culture every day, every moment, with our words, with our attitudes, with our decisions, with our character or lack of character, integrity, lack of integrity, spirituality or lack of spirituality, with the good sides of us, with our strengths, with our weaknesses, every day. And perfection is not the goal, but every day, whether we know it or not, like I can tell you this, develop a life-giving culture in your home. Oh, I need to develop a culture. You can write it down, but just know it's already there. It just is what kind of culture is there. Here's the good news. If you decide you don't like the culture you're creating, God will let us hit the reset button and create a different kind of culture. One that he says, this is what I would like. So I had to make some decisions. Because I realize that culture is like the soil that things grow in. Culture in our home is like the soil that things grow in. So the question becomes this, what values do I want growing in my home? What values do I want growing out of my life? As spouses, as Steffi and I, as in the kid, what, looking at the children, what values do I want growing in their lives? And as you begin and, and, and to, to decide what will these values look like, Jesus tells us this in Mark 4, the kingdom of God. That's why we're talking about dreaming again for the kingdom. So many times Jesus said the kingdom of God is like this. He says, it's not like the culture around you. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows. In other words, God's saying it just happens automatically, even when you're not thinking about it. A farmer scatters the seeds and walks away. And even when he's not thinking about it, daytime, nighttime, rain, shine, whatever, the seeds are growing. That's how it is with our life and the culture we're creating in our home. Even when we don't think about it, even when we're not, it's why we need to be intentional. Because if we're just randomly, accidentally letting all this, this character traits and we're just scattering, it's growing. And at a certain point, we may realize I, I need a crop failure because I don't like what the weeds that are growing here. And God, would you show me what would be good to grow in my heart, in my home, in my family, in my children? Now are the family to come. So we have to de be deliberate and intentional about it. I'm gonna leave you with this. Here's two values that I decided that I would be intentional about planting in my life, in my home, in my kids. Number one, let's plant the seeds of grace. Plant the seeds, so why? Why, that's a good sounding word, Greg, but why, <laughs> why grace? What does grace even mean? That I, I wanna plant the seeds of grace, have that grow in the culture of my home, have my kids grow in grace because this is how you define grace. Grace is the ability of God to make happen what we can't make happen on our own. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I got a pretty big list of things that I need God to do to help me that I can't do on my own. I may, the Bible says we're co-laborers with God. We're like partners with God. We work together with God. But the Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, those that labor build in vain. So I know unless there's some of God's grace in my effort, in my heart, in my marriage, in my home, in my kids, then the things I need to grow are not gonna grow. And if I'm gonna see grace grow, I need the ability of God to, here's some things I put down. See if some of these things ring, ring true. Listen, my, I need my kids to live for Jesus. Do you? <laughs> I need my grandkids to live for Jesus. I need myself to live, I need my wife to live. We want our families to be spiritual. I need my kids to find out and live their purpose. I need my kids to have their steps ordered and directed of the Lord. I need my children to have courage. List a mile long. I can't make all those things happen, but God's grace can. God's grace, absolutely. So how do we, and I ask myself, well, God, that sounds good. How do I get your grace? Here's the secret sauce to the grace. Scripture tells us in 1 Peter 5, 6, God gives grace to the humble. Humility is the soil that that grace grows in. When I saw that, I realized it's not just crying out for grace. Oh God, give me grace. Oh God, I want my kids to make right decisions. Oh God, I don't want them to fail in life. Oh God, I don't want them to repeat my mistakes and my flaws. And oh God, my DNA is strong. They're looking and acting just like me. We might have some problems. So God, give us grace. And I realized one day God says, I, I, I will give you grace. I will let grace be the culture and soil of your home. But if you're really going to stir up and have that grace, Greg, he said, walk in humility. Because humility, humility is a grace magnet. When we walk in real, honest, sometimes raw humility, not covering and hiding and ducking and arrogant and pretending we're something that we're not, but when we walk in real biblical humility, it begins to attract the grace of God in our life. Now, when we walk in pride and arrogance and I got it all together and I don't need it, that pushes grace away. So let's get practical. To get grace in our home, we need humility in our hearts. What's that look like? That means owning our failures and flaws. Uh-oh. I don't know about you, but I have some. Plenty of failures and flaws in my life. And it's been a challenge. As a male with male, <laughs> with male ego, I can tell you it's been a challenge over the years because male ego says, I want to be right. I want to prove myself right. I want to win the argument. I want to be right with my wife. I want to be right with my kids. I want to prove to them why they're wrong. And that bat, that's the enemy of humility. And that sucks the grace right out. So I've had to learn over the years, if I want grace there, then I've got to walk in humility. And I've got to say that was my fault. That incident, that attitude, that what I came in and just happened, that what just happened, that explosion what just happened, that was on dad. That was on me. And I'm sorry, and I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have acted like that. It means owning our failures and flaws. It means being real. It means letting our kids, we cover this up. It means letting our kids see us fall down and get up again. Fall down and get up again. Fall down and get up again. Fall down and by God's grace, get up again. Not hiding it, not covering, they need to see. So why do they need to see it? Because they're gonna fall down. 
And if they never see what it looks like to fall down, to fail and get back up, where are they going to learn it from? Or will they fall and just stay down? Because they've never seen true humility and grace represented in our home. Let them hear us say, I'm sorry to our spouse and to them. Don't try to be perfect. Kids don't need perfect parents. They need to see what real raw spirituality looks like. If we pretend to be perfect at home, that's the mask they'll try to wear out in the world. They'll think, I need to pretend to be perfect too, instead of working out our salvation together on a journey as a family, where there's grace and humility in the home. And then finally, let's plant seeds of mercy. I decided that what I really, 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 really needed in my life if I'm being honest, is God's mercy. Once I got real enough and honest enough to see the flaws and failures in my own life and that it was almost overwhelming at times. It's like, God, how am I going to fix this? I feel broken in these areas. God, you got to help me. God, you have to, you have to fix this. God, you've got to rewire this. I realized, you know what? There's sometimes I just need the mercy of God. God, I'm broken. I need your help. If you'll lead me, if you'll guide me, if you'll work in my heart and form the image of Christ in me. But God, today, I need your mercy. I decided I greatly needed God's mercy. And I realized the Bible says in Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So what I decided, God, if I'm going to get your mercy, I better give your mercy. And I decided my kids, my wife, my family need to be prime candidates for the mercy of God. Now, I understand raising in a certain age, discipline and correction, all that has to take place. But even that can be done with a father or mother with mercy in mind. Can I be transparent? Well, I have been for 40 minutes, so let's just keep walking down that road. I asked permission from one of my daughters to share this. She said, absolutely. When one of my daughters was a senior in high school, she went to Ascension Christian here. All my, all my kids went all the way through our school, graduated from here, wouldn't have put, put them anywhere else. It was a great experience. One day, so Monday, I was off, Stephanie was off. That's both of our days off. We were in Walmart shopping because if you don't go to Walmart and shop once or twice a week, they take away your American citizenship. You gotta do it. You just got to do it. I don't know any way around it. They'll come knock on your door. We notice you haven't been to Walmart lately and put a mask on. Okay. So we were doing our civic duty as patriots and we were in Walmart buying American. And we were pushing the cart down the aisle. We're putting things in the basket, right? Putting things in, talking, Monday off. You know, that's what I'll do. That's probably something I'll do tomorrow. You know, after preaching two times, I'll be like, hey, Monday, Monday, I'm walking in Walmart. What you want to do today? You want to get coffee? And I got a text. And it was one of my children. And she said, Dad, I need to talk to you now. And I don't get, te- I don't know about you, I don't get texts like that all the time. So I immediately called her. I called her and I said, what you got? What's happening? What's going on? And she's crying on the other end of the phone. She's crying. She's, Dad, I need, I need you to come. I need you to come to the school now. I said, you need to talk, not, not, like now, like now, now? You need me to come now, now to the school? 
Is he just, I, need, I just need y'all to come to the school. I need to talk to you. And I'm like, we'll be there in 10 minutes. And I put the hunt up and I looked at Stephanie. I said, she called. She said, we need to come to the school now. She needs to talk to us. So we're like putting stuff back on the shelf. And at a certain point, just shove the buggy. Hey, there's people, they pay to do that. People need jobs. So we walked at a much faster pace than the leisurely stroll we were. Sprint to the car, get in the car. We're looking at each other. She's looking at me. I'm looking. She's like, what do you think it is? I said, I don't know. What do you think it is? She said, I don't know. I said, it could be the boyfriend. She said, could it be the boyfriend? I said, it could be the boyfriend. Drive faster. (laughs) Your mind takes you worst case scenario, doesn't it? I'm thinking worst case scenario. What's the worst case scenario? Worst case scenario was in 10 minutes, our life could be completely changed forever. I don't know what she's going to tell me. All I know is she's crying and she got to talk to me right now. It was the most nerve wracking 10 minute ride because my, my wife drives. I get lost going anywhere. So she drives and I'm, I'm just sitting there with my thoughts. Very little conversation is taking place. We get to the school. I walk in the school. I walk in the office. I check her out. I get her. She's sure enough. She's crying. Eyes red. Put her in the back seat. I get back in the so slide in there and say, Stephanie, drive, drive, drive. And I'm looking like, you know, I'm trying to find my way into this conversation. <laughs> How you doing there? Yeah, not, not so good. You doesn't look like you're doing so good. So, hey, what's up? You know, what's up? What's, what's, what? And finally, I just said, what, what happened? You know, you just got to get there. What happened? And you hold your breath. She said, well, you know, you remember, you remember I went to the football game this Friday night? I'm like, yeah, we got our butts kicked. I remember that. She said, no, 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 after the game. And she said, I went, and I went, to my, I went with some friends. I said, yeah, I know your friends. She said, well, I went to some other friends. <laughs> and she's crying. I went to some other friends that I didn't know. And some of them there, they were drinking. They were drinking, Dad. They were drinking. Oh, God, I took a sip. I took a sip. And I'm like, woo. <laughs> Look over at the wife. We gonna be okay. <laughs> and then I go into this big spill about who in life has never made a mistake? Who among us is perfect? Let bygones be, but what's a bygone anyway? I'm like, look, you made a mistake. Thank you for telling me. You learn something, yeah, you're going to grow from this. Yeah, well, then we're going to get up and we're going to grow forward from this. I said, you know what? I Because if I find myself in a situation, maybe not exactly like that, I'm going to need a lot, a lot of mercy. I still got some years to live, folks. And you do too. And we're going to need a lot of mercy. So we're going to have to give a lot of mercy. Sometimes in the place of lecturing, sometimes in the place of yelling or screaming or comparing, or we're going to just have to give mercy because God says, if we'll give mercy, we'll receive mercy. Let's plant grace. Let's plant mercy. Would you bow your heads, please? We're about to get out of this place, but we can't do it unless I find out this. I've been talking about 
Father God and how good he is and how awesome he is and how awesome Jesus is, but maybe you find yourself in a place today where if you were honest, you would say, I'm disconnected, Greg, I'm disconnected from Jesus. Maybe you never knew him, really. You went to church, but you never really knew him, or maybe you once served him and life got you, and you're not. But the good news is the Bible says today's the day of salvation. Today we can hit the reset button. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you at all. But I do need you to make a faith decision with nobody looking around. If that's you and you would say, yeah, Greg, that's me. Pray for me, please. Stick your hand up real quick and then put it right back down. Yep, I see it. Anybody else? Yep, I see your hand. I see it over here. To my right, left. Anybody? Yep, I see it in the balcony also. We're going to pray this all together out loud in faith. Say this with me. Father, I come to you today in Jesus' name. I thank you for mercy, for grace, for forgiveness. And I ask you right now, God, make me new. And by your power and by your strength, as I walk in salvation, I'll live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Come on, how about a big hand clap of celebration for that?